We actually have two passages we're reading from tonight. Uh, so if you could keep your finger on page 1160, that's the 2 Corinthians passage. 1160. And when you've got that, turn to Psalm 116 on page 615. So it's 1160 and then Psalm 116 on page 615. A lot of sixes, but if you're keeping up. So 1160615. You with me? Good. So first Psalm 116. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. 
we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can be confident seeing that you have set forth the truth plainly through your servant Paul. And we pray now that as we read his letter to the church in Corinthians and therefore to us as well, we pray that you might give us eyes to see your truth and minds that understand and wills that long to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about Henry. Henry had grown up in a Christian home. He'd been part of all the youth groups from 0 to 18. He'd been in all the camps. He'd even served quite a lot in the church family. Goodness knows how many hours of his family's time and his youth leader's time had been spent discipling in Henry, investing him, loving him, helping him to grow. And in 18 September, he heads off to university. And as he arrives at university, his head is turned away from God and it's turned to all the attractive things that the world has to offer. And within six months, Henry's turned his back on God completely and he's rejected his church family. It's really disheartening, isn't it, when that happens? Really disheartening. Freya lived with her uh, unbelieving husband for years, and when they first got together, uh, he was really keen. He would come along to events. He wasn't a Christian, but he'd come along. He showed interest. It looked like he was going to make progress. But, but over the years, well, he's lost interest, and now he's not bothered at all. In fact, he's a little bit hostile. And that is Freya's biggest struggle with God. She feels completely disheartened. What happens? You know, as we live in God's world, as we seek to share Christ with people, it's easy to lose heart, isn't it, when we see discouragement after discouragement after discouragement. As you head to the school, to school, to the office, to the building site, to the school gates, you, you know, perhaps long to speak about Christ and your faith. And yet very few people seem interested at best. At worst, you feel mocked, you're mocked, you're ridiculed, perhaps you're even ostracized. Maybe you haven't given up on proclaiming Christ completely, but you've lost your passion. Because it's hard. And you feel discouraged, you feel disheartened. 
Well, in our passage this evening, Paul speaks, reflecting on his own experience, and he speaks to remind the Corinthian church why, chapter 4, verse 1, we should not lose hearts in new covenant ministry. But just before we get there, let's just remind ourselves from last work last week what new, what the new covenant is all about. Uh, Rob mentioned last week this covenant language. It, it's a it's a promise, but it's more than a promise. It's a it's a formal bond. It's an oath. It, it's like a marriage, where two parties come together and make a commitment. I think you could sum up the covenant in the Bible as this: It's God says, "I will be your gods, and you will be." my people. But being in a covenant relationship with God is about knowing him. It's about enjoying relationship with him. And last week we saw that God makes this old covenant with Moses, and it was good. But now he's made a new covenant with Jesus, and it's better. Way, way better. And we saw, just look back to the early parts of, sorry, chapter 3. We saw these things. We saw that this new covenant is a covenant of the Spirit. Verse 6, which verse 17 means there's freedom. We're no longer restricted to worshipping God in a certain place at a certain time. Worship of God is no longer restricted to a particular nation. It's a covenant of the spirits. In verse 9, it's a covenant of righteousness. It's a covenant in which God's people are declared right with God. Therefore, chapter 3, verse 12 we are bold. We're bold. We're no longer distanced from God. We can know him. Verse 11 of chapter 3, it's a covenant of glory. God reveals his glory, his majesty, his splendor, his godness. And it's a covenant of mercy. Chapter 4, verse 1. It's not deserved. That's the new covenant. The Paul says, this is the covenant I am a minister of. And as one who has received God's mercy, Paul's ministry is to invite others in to receive God's mercy and be reconciled to God. And so, here's four reasons why we should not lose heart in New Covenant ministry. And the first one is this. Through proclaiming Jesus Christ, God brings light and life. When you know the difference that something can make to your life, it's, um, it's hard not to talk about it, isn't it? Have you ever had one of those conversations where someone's just uh, discovered a new app or a new TV series or a new, uh, a new band, a new place, or perhaps the first time they've discovered the effects of coffee? <laughs> and they just can't stop talking about it. They want to tell you, they want to convince you that if you sign up you too can experience these benefits. Join in this revolutionary new world where life is never the same. Well, Paul knows that feeling. Paul knows that through his ministry of proclaiming Jesus, what he offers is incredible. He offers light and life. Look at verses 5 to 6 of chapter 4. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul knows how life-changing this gospel is. It brings life and light. And it, because he knows how good the gospel is, he, he doesn't preach himself. Paul knows that he and his companions have nothing to offer. There is nothing in them worth promoting. Perhaps some of us could do with remembering that every so often. Paul is merely a servant, a servant who preaches Christ as Lord. And as Jesus is proclaimed, God does a work of creation in the lives of those who hear. There's a creation reference here, isn't there? Let light shine out of darkness. That's from Genesis 1. God brings light into darkness. It's a work of creation. And just as in creation, so in the gospel, God does another work of creation. He brings light out of darkness. Because without Christ, our hearts are dark. We live in rebellion against God, and sin rules. But the gospel is like a torch. It's like a torch that shines into a pitch-dark room. And it illumines, it brings light, it reveals our sin. It illumines our eyes so that we might gain the, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when Paul uh, talks about knowledge here, he, he doesn't just mean a head, brain knowledge. This knowledge is not about knowing about, it's about knowing as in relationship. I mean, you can know all sorts of things about someone, but not know them, can't you? I mean, think about Rob, our curate. You know, before he arrived in Basingstoke, if you'd had the chance to look at his CV, you'd have probably looked down the page and you thought, oh, do you know, I'd, this guy looks like the James Bond of the financial conduct world, wouldn't you? That would have been your conclusion. But you wouldn't know him. You'd know about him. You'd have a knowledge of him, but you wouldn't know him. So only when he walks through the doors and he says, Hi, I'm Rob, nice to meet you. Well, that's when you know him. That's when you begin to have a relationship with him. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We see Christ in the gospel, and through him, we come to know God, our heavenly Father. Through that, through the proclamation of the gospel, God brings light and life. And therefore, because Paul knows its goodness, he doesn't want to water the gospel down or to change it to make it slightly more friendly. I mean, surely it's not just me who's tempted to do that sometimes. You know, when we feel discouraged by the lack of progress the gospel makes in our friends and family, we just think, if I just tweak that bit, if I just take the edge off there, soften Jesus' calling on our lives, soften the moral code that Christianity uh, teaches, or perhaps that will make it just a little bit more palatable for those that I love. And that's what Paul was experiencing other people doing to the church in Corinthians. But Paul's confidence is in proclaiming Christ and Christ alone. And therefore, verse 2, he says, We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. 
On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You see, Paul knows that to twist the word of God, to soften it, to make it slightly more culturally acceptable is to deny people the means of receiving light and life. And we will face that temptation. But Paul says we must continue to set forth the truth plainly. Yes, with grace and love and winsomeness, of course, but plainly as it's been revealed to us in God's word. But you might say, but, but Tim, you know, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've tried to do over many years. I've not watered the gospel down. I've, I've not changed it. But my friends and family, they still continue to reject Jesus. They still don't seem to want to know. They continue to ridicule, ridicule me. They shut down when... I even raise the topic of faith. Verse 3, it's like that. It's like there's this veil over their eyes that means they can't see. That was particularly true of one of my uh, friends at university. Whenever um, anyone asked me what I'd been up to, even just talking about a Christian Union event that I'd been at, she would physically shut down. She just didn't want to know. Or perhaps you've shared the gospel with someone many times. And they've seen really genuinely interested. It's felt like you're making really good progress, but they just don't get it. And it's so frustrating. You're beginning to lose heart. And, you know, in all those situations, we can begin to think, what am I doing wrong? What am I not saying right? Is there something about the way I'm living that's not reflecting the goodness of the gospel? Well, do you know what? Maybe you could say things better. And maybe it is worth pondering where your life doesn't match up to what Christ teaches. But ultimately, that's not the problem. The problem is, verse 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, when someone is blind, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. They will not be able to see. Jesus Christ, Paul says, is very clearly the image of God. He's the reflection of God the Father. But many cannot and will not see because the God of this age has blinded their minds. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Look, I take no pleasure in saying this, but the sad reality is that for some, it doesn't matter how good our arguments are, how wonderful we live lives that testify to God's goodness and grace. It doesn't matter how much we speak to them, they will never come to know God. And I know that raises all sorts of questions. And they're really difficult questions But Paul mentions that truth here because he doesn't want us to lose heart. He wants us to know that when people don't come to faith, it's not your fault. It's not our responsibility to convert people. It's not our responsibility to open people's eyes so they can see. All that's asked of us is that we set forth the truth plainly. 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we should keep on doing that because proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord is the means through which God brings light and life. And the important thing is we do not know whose eyes are veiled and who will see. We will never know. So there is no point guessing. All we can do is keep proclaiming Christ and leave the rest to God. So Paul says, don't lose heart. Keep proclaiming Christ because through Christ, God brings light and life. That's the first reason. The second reason not to lose hearts in New Covenant ministry is that God's power is at work through our weakness. As you uh, go through the book of 2 Corinthians, it's uh, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over and again is, boy, Paul's been through some tough stuff. He's been battered. And we get a little glimpse of that in these verses, don't we? Look at verse 8 onwards. Paul says, describing what he's been through, we were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed. And I think one commentator meant that word has this idea of feeling cornered, unable to find a way out. Perplexed, cornered, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Read the rest of the book to see how some of that stuff happens. But Paul has experienced acute hardship, pain and persecution because he was committed to proclaiming Christ. But he's also experienced God's deliverance. Why? Well, look at verses 10 and 11. So that Jesus might be revealed. Verse 10, Paul carries around in his body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed. Paul is given over to death in his body so that Christ's life might be revealed in his body. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying everything in my ministry, all my hardship, my pain, my uh, suffering that's nearing death, all of that is so that Christ might be revealed to those that I'm ministering to. But what we see in these verses is that every single thing that Paul does in his ministry of revealing Jesus, comes from a place of weakness and frailty. Which is why when he says, verse 7, you really can believe him. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What Paul's saying is, saying the gospel that we proclaim is, is treasure, but the one who proclaims it is nothing more than a basic clay pot. Cracked, brittle, common, and inexpensive. Not built to last. If you want a, perhaps a more modern day illustration, I didn't just bring a cup of coffee up with me. This is a, imagine this paper coffee cup. Uh, imagine this contains a precious diamond worth millions and millions of pounds. And I put it in this, a coffee cup. That's what Paul's saying. 
And this coffee cup that I can scrunch and bend, this damaged, fragile, temporary coffee cup that's here now and one day will be on a rubbish dump somewhere. That's what contains the precious gospel. You see, Paul tells us this because he wants us to know what he knows. That even in him, God's power is only ever at work through his weakness. He contributes nothing. Paul's role in the church was unique. He was an apostle and he suffered more than most of us ever will. But we do know what it is to feel weak, don't we, as we hold out the message of Christ to the world? Weak in our ability to communicate. Weak in our battle to put to death sin and to live how Christ asks us to. We live as a small minority in a world that thinks it's moved on to bigger and better things. Ridiculed by comedians and societies, a bunch of people who've left their brains behind. Hard-pressed, cornered, persecuted, struck down. Paul says, in our weakness, we carry great treasure. Because we carry in our feeble little bodies the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And therefore, we do not lose heart. We keep going. God's power is at work through our weakness. The thing about Paul is though that he has experienced wonderful deliverance from his troubles, it is not his earthly deliverance that ultimately gives him hope. It's not his earthly deliverance that is the reason he doesn't lose heart. The reason Paul doesn't lose heart is because he has a resurrection hope. And today, if we're Christians, we share in that, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13, Paul says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And that's a quote from the psalm that Mark read out to us earlier, Psalm 116. And uh, we haven't got time to turn to it, but it's, it's a psalm where the psalmist expresses his love of the Lord, but it describes his experience of, or he describes it as the cords of death entangle him. And how he's overcome by distress and sorrow, but God delivered his soul from death. And as he reflects on his experience, the psalmist says, I believed, therefore I said. I believed, therefore I said. The psalmist's belief means that despite his affliction, he continues to speak. He continues to proclaim God's goodness. And Paul quotes this psalm here because he shares in the psalmist's trials. He knows the psalmist's experience, but he also shares in the psalmist's confidence of deliverance. And so he keeps speaking. I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. See, living as, living as people under the new covenant, a covenant of the spirits, a covenant of righteousness means we have boldness. Boldness and confidence that one day 
when we leave this world, we will pass into a new world and we will be face to face with Christ. Do not lose heart. We share in resurrection hope. See, Paul knew, and he says elsewhere, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Death for Paul was better. It was to be in the presence of Jesus. So life now was about living for Christ. Uh, I want to read you a couple of stories from um, this book here. It's Shining Like Stars. It's written by a guy called Lindsey Brown. And uh, he served as the um, IFES president, head director. IFES is basically a movement, a student mission movement that works all around uh, the world. And UCCF in this country are part of that. And he uh, tells a couple of stories in this book uh, from Ethiopia in the 1980s. And during that time, there was a very repressive communist regime uh, led by President Mengitsu. And it was persecuting Christians. And I just want to read the story of one pastor. He told me the story of a pastor who was a giant in all senses of the word. He was six foot eight inches tall and a great preacher, imprisoned under the Menjitsu reign. He was such an important figure that church leaders appealed to President Nairia from Tanzania to bring pressure on the Ethiopian government for his release. President Nairia agreed and travelled in his personal jet to Addis Ababa, asking the Ethiopian Foreign Secretary if, as a personal favour, he would release this pastor. The favour was granted. The pastor was duly brought to the Tanzanian embassy. From here he would travel by limousine with President Nairia to his plane and then be whisked out of the country. At the embassy, President Nairia greeted him Today you are going to be set free. You will leave the country with me. But the pastor stopped him saying, No, I am not leaving the country. My place is here. If I leave, it will discourage all those pastors who do not have the opportunity to leave. It will also undermine all I have said. For I have urged Christians not to desert our country in its time of need. President Nairia left on his own. Several weeks later, this great Ethiopian pastor was strangled to death by government soldiers. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And you can only do that if you know where you're going. You will only not lose hearts if you know that we share in resurrection hope. Not even death would cause Paul to lose heart. Which leads us on to, fourthly, the fourth reason not to lose heart, and it's this. Verse 15, we're serving God's people for God's glory. All this is for your benefits, so that grace is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul's great desire is that grace might reach people. He longs for people to know God, to experience his grace. And not for his glory, but for God's glory. Paul doesn't lose heart because for him it is all about other people. It's all about others. It's all about God's. And that's why verse 5, he sees himself as a lowly servant. That's why he's willing to be given over to death that others might live. 
Let me draw to a close, and I just want to read you one more story from the same countries, same time. In the same country, a young man called Asafa, who became a Christian in his early teens and led many high school students to faith. He was imprisoned on several occasions. On one occasion, he heard some noise outside his prison cell and was taken outside to see the bodies of two young men who had been shot dead. One of them had been led to Christ by Asafa. The soldier said to Asafa, if you don't deny your faith, we will kill you too. Asafa refused to deny his faith. For some reason known only to God, the soldiers refrained from shooting him, and several days later he was thrown out of the prison. For years he had no home in which to live, and sometimes gathered his food from rubbish dumps. He was able to return to university only after the fall of the government. After graduating, he became general secretary secretary of the Ethiopian student movement, that means the director, which throughout the 1990s drew in around a fifth of all university students in the country, with some 500 trained Bible study leaders. When they faced difficulties, people from Asafa's home village would say, you should go to the God of Asafa. He can deliver you. These stories, the problem with these stories is they seem so distant from us, isn't it? So far removed from our experience. But there's many stories like this happening all around the world, even as we speak, only a plane flight away. Stories of people whose love for others and love for God's glory drives them on in service drives them on amongst all the discouragements where it would be so easy to lose heart. So if then, then why not us? Thankfully, our experience of ministry is not as hard as theirs. But it is hard, isn't it? Holding out Jesus to our friends and family is hard. So tonight... As you think about your friends and your family and your colleagues, your neighbours, don't lose heart. Remember that through proclaiming Jesus Christ, God brings life and light. Remember that God's power is at work through your weakness. Remember we share in resurrection hope. And remember we're serving people for God's glory. And so, verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's pray. Just a moment of silence, and then I'll pray. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Father, we do thank you that through your Apostle Paul, you have set forth your word of truth plainly. And we pray this evening as we respond to your words, you might encourage us. As we look out at the world, we pray that we would not lose heart. We pray you'd help us to cling to Christ. 
to cling to the truths we've been thinking about this evening. And we pray that as weak people, jars of clay, in need of your help and your all-surpassing power. In Jesus' name, amen.